Welcome to the first edition of the How Do I Get That Job podcast. This is a series where we highlight leading professionals in new, exciting, and off-the-beaten-path industries to answer the age-old question, how do I get that job? My name is Tyler Cudaback of Let's Go to College Educational Consultants. Today, I am joined by Dr. Lucas McCann, Chief Scientific Officer of Can Delta Inc. Can Delta is a cannabis and scientific regulatory consulting group based in Toronto, Canada. Lucas reviews the scientific and analytics behind the proposals, plans, and projects of Can Delta's clients, and he is here today to talk about some of the ways that someone can legally build a career in the cannabis community. Without any further ado, Dr. McCann, take it away. Well, since legalization's happened, we've been um, we've been very busy. Oh, I'm sure. So, when do you guys go fully legal? Like, it's available in stores and everything. Uh, we are legal for recreational and adult use. But you, oh, I mean, because uh, like uh, Michigan and Maine both went legal uh, last year or at the beginning of this year, but they don't have any uh, dispensaries or any stores available for anybody until like 2020. Oh, I see. Interesting. Well, um, in, uh, nationally, we we have uh, we have stores available, retail stores that, that sell um, in this province, Ontario. Um, they've just got some special rules; they delayed it a bit, so those stores open up in April. But uh, you know, we're, we're we're full legalization here. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, just a little bit about me and what I'm doing, and and why I'm interested in, in speaking with you in particular. So. I am an educational consultant. Essentially, I help students and their families figure out the best career path for them. And a lot of times, at least in my experience, the best career path is rarely one that you intentionally set down. It's one that you kind of fell into because it's a passion that you had and you met the right people at the right time and things like that. So what I want to do is I want to help families find out about those different careers that they may not necessarily know about. And when I saw chief scientific officer for a cannabis industry company, that definitely is something that I know a lot of, you know, 17, 18, young 20s are interested in learning more about. Okay. And I would love to hear about you, your education, your background, how you got into this. You know, just tell me your story. Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> that's giving me the green light to, uh, to start to, to babble on about myself. Uh, so I guess the story began uh, in the undergrad. Um, I, I studied mostly in uh, the biology field um, until about second or third year, I made the transition over into chemistry and then found that organic chemistry was, uh, was a passion. So I did my undergrad over in, uh, in Vancouver, BC, found it to be very, uh, very interesting. And then, you know, in that undergrad period, set up an exchange in uh, the northern part of Quebec, did an exchange at a, a small university in a very remote part of the province. So it was um, strictly francophone. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then from there, I uh, decided to pursue a master's degree in Quebec City at uh, actually a French speaking university. Um, did nat- what's called natural product synthesis, so synthesizing compounds that you would find in nature that have some sort of pharmaceutical interest. And then shortly thereafter, uh, moved to uh, Toronto. Um, this is around the same time as the recession began in 2008, which everyone said, you know, was a great time to continue to be a student because uh, you know, a lot of the, the factories and businesses in chemistry were basically shutting down and uh, downsizing, moving overseas. Then did a, a PhD in uh, organic chemistry at uh, York University in Toronto. Um, that was about another five years of studying. Uh, in that time, sort of got my uh, my hands wet in everything. I uh, uh, was playing sports, playing music, uh, tried my hand in, in politics, uh, ran like a provincial election here. Found that that wasn't necessarily for me. 
And then when I left, I'd actually set up a job over at Health Canada working there as a chemist. They had bought a big expensive machine that they didn't really know how to use and they needed someone to, to run it and to teach others and to, uh, to write the standard operating procedures on how to use it. Uh, so that was pretty key and I think in sort of where I ended up now. It was not necessarily a, a huge formative part of my experience, but it was it's the same regulating body that, uh, that issues up the licenses for commercial cultivators and folks that are, are looking to get into the space. So it's been pretty uh, valuable line item on my, on my resume that I think folks really appreciate. From there, I went into digital textbook sales. Um, I was writing and helping sell textbooks. So I'd go around and meet professors from other chemistry faculty, mostly across the US, but also in Canada. Got to visit a, a ton of states and a ton of cities, a lot of which, you know, were basically, uh, you know, you, you'd think basically funded around the university and, you know, like, uh, for example, Athens, Ohio, right? It's uh, <laughs> Ohio <laughs> University. I'm very familiar. Yeah. And then, you know, basically out of nowhere are these huge stadiums that you would see that, uh, you know, seem to be like the, the central focal point for, um, <laughs> for, uh, for anyone living around the area. Mm-hmm. So I did this for a couple of years and um, uh, my partner was also from, from Health Canada. She specifically was in the medical cannabis program uh, for a number of years, reviewing the applications and doing the site inspections. Um, we saw a huge opportunity when folks were asking us to assist them with their, um, their application. They had questions and we saw an ability to, uh, to monetize what we, were, what we were doing basically for free. And I decided to take the plunge. She, uh, she left to do this full time. We started this basically in our, um, you know, basically in our, our, our spare office, uh, started working uh, uh, with this goal of putting together this company. And then, uh, you know, I, I left uh, uh, a couple months after to do this full time. Um, we've been doing this, uh, I guess, relatively successfully for the last well, almost a year now. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a brand new area with a lot of opportunity there as well. So we don't handle any product. We strictly help with applications to Health Canada and manage those submissions afterwards with any kind of back and forth and uh, work with people up until the time they get their license. Wow. That's an amazing journey. I think a, a question that a lot of people are going to have is what is a chief scientific officer? What, what is the responsibility and, and how do you fit into that C-level executive structure of like CEO, COO, CIO, et cetera? Right. So uh, we do scientific consulting in a lot of the projects that we have, anything from laboratory setup to new technology compliance and review. Um, generally needs that scientific oversight for those projects. Um, so I take all that experience that I gained through university, you know, running a lab, uh, using all the instruments, learning how to maintain and care for the instruments, um, to even doing some of the industrial scale of processing I was doing. I was running, you, know, you run experiments generally on a very small scale in chemistry just because it's, it's more economical. And oftentimes these reagents are very hard to come by. Especially if you're, you know, several steps down a, a synthetic path, you know, you might not have the greatest availability for something because you'll have to make it. But then when something works, you, you want to try and scale it up on a, on a larger process. So you multiply, you know, by three, the, the scale that you're running things at. So it, you know, starts off as like a milligram scale, eventually multiplies until you're doing, you know, kilograms, multi-liter scale, which is, you know, very special equipment. Yep. So that was something that was, uh, was pretty valuable. So I can take that sort of insight and assist those looking to set up labs now uh, in the cannabis space um, and, and make some, some smart recommendations about things that they should do and things that they shouldn't do as well. So that kind of leads me into my next question. For a lot of people, they just want to break into the industry. You know, it's new, it's exciting, it's finally legalized in a lot of places. You know, and you're talking about helping people set up what I assume are farms and distributors. But, you know, maybe a lot of people are going to come in as, you know, boots on the ground in a store or something like that. 
do you have any advice on how to get involved? And, and if there's multiple pathways for somebody that's potentially entry level, quote unquote. Yeah, I think uh, probably what most would want to do would be to identify sort of what aspect of uh, um, of the area or the domain they want to contribute to. Um, for those working in a retail store, I mean, there's not a lot of opportunity there to get sort of behind the scenes. And our retail stores are completely separate from where, where the product's actually cultivated. So, I mean, any of the peripheral sciences that are tangential to, to agriculture, I think, are very key. So biology, chemistry, uh, biochemistry, you know, plant biology, I think those are, are very key. So it, it's probably up to people to identify sort of where they want to participate. And then probably it would be best for them to obtain the highest level of education they can get. Anything to do with food or pharma has great overlap as well. So you don't necessarily have to start in something like cannabis to be able to, to be successful at it. But, you know, the, the more education you have, the better I think you can do in the industry. The, probably the higher you can, uh, you can move up. Otherwise, you know, those of the BSC sort of stay at a certain level and you will be basically assigned with certain responsibilities. Those are sort of in the, usually the QA area. Um, and then those with, you know, more in-depth experience on how quality systems work or, or more of a pharma background and have, have put more time into their, their education can move up to something like an executive position at a, at a facility. Now, you said food or pharma. Pharma is pretty straightforward, I think, in terms of just like the idea of pharmaceuticals. Yes, this is a, a chemical that reacts with your body. So that kind of seems uh, a straightforward. But with food, are you talking about more of the agricultural side of things or like food science, creating new compounds? Uh, both. Um, so there's the agricultural side of things, you know, like the, the farming and the growing. I mean, that's uh, that's very key. But there's a lot of overlap as well with the required practices that have to be done to maintain, you know, clean systems, quality controlled systems. So obviously in food, there's the, you know, scrupulous exclusion of, uh, of things like dirt and mold and bacteria and other potential contaminants that could hurt folks that, uh, that come in contact with those products. And those best practices are, are very transferable over into the cannabis space as well. So what kind of regulatory requirements do you have in terms of, you know, quality and product and, and really anything? What does the government require you to have to do in order to sell? Um, well, it's very site specific, so it's tied to the location that you're going to be in. You need to have something that's very secure with a very, um, very, you know, several layers of in, in, intense security, everything from visual monitoring to access control on the doors. Um, and then everything contained within uh, the facility itself has to be very clean. So you need special panels on the wall. You know, the floors have to be epoxied. Everything can be basically scrubbed. And these are going to be in clean rooms. So uh, to, you know, gain access to this room, not only would you have to have the you know, the, the right sort of uh, credentials or permissions on your on your key card. Um, but you'd also have to gown, you know, put on hairnets, um, those kinds of things, those kinds of practices would have to be maintained to, to keep these rooms clean as well. Wow. So for somebody that is just interested, maybe they're a recreational user, maybe they're a medical user that kind of just wants to get involved, is there something that they can do uh, without making it a full career, maybe just volunteering or some kind of position within this industry and this community. Yeah, I mean, everyone that's involved in the industry is very open to networking and to, to being contacted. I mean, I think that's part of the reason why we're having a conversation. Uh, so people are very willing to share the information that they have and tools like LinkedIn is a great way to sort of make those connections as well. People generally accept connections with folks that they don't know just because the, the whole area, at least in Canada anyway, is, you know, very... Um, uh, dependent on uh, on great networking and strategic partnerships. 
So starting conversations up with people that might be in an, in, uh, an area of interest for you and getting an idea of what their day-to-day -day is, I think is going to be very important. Because <clears throat> I think a lot of people have an idea of what they're going to be doing. For example, in, in chemistry, everyone thought to a certain point that it was going to be similar to what you'd see on CSI, right? Um, but that's you know very much not the case once you you get into the um, uh, you know the, the higher higher years of education there. It's it's a it's a very different process. It doesn't look like that what's you know whatsoever. And you're not necessarily the people that are going around collecting the samples are not necessarily the ones running those samples in the lab. It's it's sort of one or the other. So I think people having those kinds of conversations with people already doing the roles is going to be the the best way to determine if that's something that they they see themselves doing. So a lot of students that I work with are very ambitious, you know, high functioning students, very great grades, and definitely the go-getter type personality. How is a 17, 18 year old person supposed to be taken seriously when they're trying to enter this space and not just look like somebody that wants to have free access to weed? I, I think just making sure you <clears throat> you ask questions that are pertinent to the information you're trying to get. I mean. It, if, if you're talking about high, you know, high functioning students, then I don't think that should be an issue for them to, to think about, you know, 20 great questions that they could ask someone that's in a role that they, they admire or potentially think that they admire. Um, and, you know, people are pretty open to things like conversations and phone calls and, you know, webcam conferences and uh, or even going out for coffee and, and, and talking to these folks. But some of these people are actually, you know, incentivized for being able to recruit uh, talent. Um, so it, 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 it's a, it's a two way street, right? It's um, very beneficial for, you know, me personally to stay plugged into universities because a lot of folks are looking to, uh, to recruit and, you know, they need people with science backgrounds to be recruited to a lot of these roles. So, hey. oh, continue, continue. I was going to say, it's not something that's, you know, necessarily just up to the student or something that only just benefits the students as well. It's important for people to stay plugged into what's happening at the university level. Have you ever heard of a organization or service called youwannado.com? <clears throat> I haven't. The reason I mentioned it is because you brought up how important recruitment and understanding of the field is to the cannabis industry. youwannado.com is a site that serves three different groups and those are students, universities, and companies. It's a way for students to research different fields of study, the universities to specialize in those fields to reach out to students, and companies that are hiring people with those degrees and students to talk to them. As a university or a company, it provides a platform to explain who you are, what you do, and what kinds of people you're trying to attract. If you're looking for people who are inquisitive, it can be a really great resource. Okay, you want to do. We can take a look at that. That's you want to do.com. Uh, -A -A com. Um, so it sounds like your business partner at Can Delta uh, had gotten into the industry before you. Now, were they kind of the impetus for you to go into the cannabis industry from your previous positions? Or did you decide to do that kind of simultaneously? Um, I think it was mostly me supporting her in something that she wanted to do. And then um, I think the chips just sort of fell where they may. So it was, uh, I guess, a lot of synchronicity. Um, you know, it was the right time to get into the market and the right time to, to pursue something like this. So it was, it was really now or never. I mean, this green rush that we're in right now is not going to not going to be as, uh, as lucrative and as exciting as it is now, you know, it eventually will become stale and, uh, and, and dry up. So, um, 
it was just sort of a smart choice to, to move this way. So it's interesting that you put it that way, because my next question was actually going to be, you know, what are some of the new projects that you have in the works, uh, if you want to kind of divulge that? And then also, where do you see the industry going in the next five years? Because that's when students are going to be graduating from their bachelor's. Right. So in the immediate future, I mean, we've got uh, new regulations surrounding the edible market that are going to come out. So we're going to see a lot of people, I think, uh, move around from, from food and pharma into this new industry. And then I think the, the market's going to continue to grow for the next three to five years. After that, it's really hard to predict. I mean, I'm not, uh, I'm not a business person per se, but predicting what's going to happen after this, this rush will be, uh, will be difficult. But I mean, we're going to just going to do our best to stay relevant and make sure that we're, we're, we're doing what we can to, to make sure that, um, you know, that's it. You know, if there's a new opportunity that necessarily presents itself, that we uh, we incorporate that into our list of services that we offer or provide for folks. Uh, I think that's going to be very, very important for sustainability in this, in this area. So if you could go back, I mean, you have a, a bachelor's, I assume a master's, I heard. You know, so we're talking about seven to 10 years of schooling and experience. If you can go back 10 years and give yourself some advice, what would it be? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, I think in terms of the timing, everything worked out well. I was pretty confident that even though I knew I didn't want to work in a lab, that I was going to find something that was going to work for me. You know, I knew that I didn't want to be a professor. I just sort of had this this strong gut feeling that there was going to be um, something that I, I would be able to slot myself into that I think would fit. And it was actually closer to 12 or 13 years because I did stay on and do uh, the PhD afterwards. So that added a you know, significant chunk of time to this. <laughs> but I, I mean, I think it's all important, even though like it seems like a very long time to be sitting there and doing something in school there's there's always something that you're learning and absorbing in the lab and even though it's not immediately obvious how that will be useful i think it's about maybe having just that that sense of confidence that it'll all pan out and work out i guess sort of as as, as cliched as that sounds i mean it was uh, it was really that that got me where i am okay i mean and that's fair i mean a lot of people kind of just are at the right place at the right time and it that's that's not a bad way of being there. So you were talking about working in, in the States as well as in Canada. Can you share some of your experiences, a little bit of just being an expat or an expatriate for anybody that doesn't know what that term means? Where did you work? Was it just the States or did you go to other countries and how long were you there? And you know, what was it yeah, like for sure. overseas? So although I was traveling most of the time in the U.S., I was always uh, on payroll for a Canadian company. Um, I would just, you know, every other week have a, a, a trip out uh, that way. And it wasn't necessarily something that I would, you know, volunteer in conversations, though folks would, you know, try and pinpoint where my accent came from and, and think that they were <laughs> they were particularly clever and, and I guess making those guesses. Um, so, you know, I had boots on the ground in the U.S., but, you know, was was always sort of based in this area. You know, countries travel to, uh, you know, Canada, U.S., uh, Puerto Rico, um, you know, we're, we're all uh, all some of the ones uh, we actually opened up an office in Australia right before I left in that that previous role. Um, I didn't get a chance to go down there, but had I stayed on, that might have been uh, that might have been reality. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting. It's very enlightening because I you know, definitely when you're at least on university campuses anyway, the more that you you travel and meet other people, the more you realize we're fundamentally all the same. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Yeah. So, <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess you'd sort of have this preconceived notion that folks from these, you know, strange lands would, uh, you know, would fundamentally be different. But that uh, was surprisingly not the case. 
And that's one of the reasons that I love working in higher education, because it really is this melting pot of ideas and cultures. And, you know, people love to talk about diversity as this buzzword, but it really does add something to not just your educational experience, but to, you know, your your future. Is there any, uh, and I know I'm putting you on the spot with this one, is there anything that you can think of in terms of diversity that really increased either your education while you were in school or uh, while you were a professional? Um, well, I think, you know, what diversity gives you is perspective. And I, th I think that's always important to maintain and to allow to grow. You know, we, we come from a generally uh, very diverse area, especially being in Toronto is like a melting pot of many different cultures. So, I mean, that's only, um, only been useful for getting an idea of sort of how, how folks operate that, you know, are away from here. So it's definitely not a detriment. If anything, it's something that's going to complement, I think, people's uh, backgrounds. Um, and then, you know, being in... Uh, enrolled in post-secondary institutions in three major cities across the country has, has also been pretty useful. So, I mean, I've only got good things to say about, you know, diversity and, uh, you know, working in a climate of diversity as well. So it's interesting that you brought up uh, work, you know, going to school in three different cities across the country, because that's actually something that someone in my position would recommend to a student, you know, get a bachelor's degree from a small school, then get your master's from a larger one in a city, and then go for a PhD somewhere that's really specialized in your area. Is that mm -hmm. a piece of advice that you received, or did you kind of just happen to fall into that? Uh, definitely just happened to fall into it. I mean, um, I started off the journey on the Pacific Coast, and I think if the opportunities hadn't presented themselves, I probably just would have stayed there. But uh, I had a great opportunity to go and study, you know, just keeping the doors open you know, did get accepted in a different university and really had to take a plunge, but it's definitely something that's made my ass a lot more confident in different situations. Um, so it's definitely worth it. I mean, it is, as hard as it is for some people to think that they're going to be divorcing their friends and their family for, you know, a period of time, uh, there, there's a huge, uh, you know, a huge learning experience you get out of it. And it's things that you can't put down on paper. Definitely. But, but definitely things an employer, I think, would consider when evaluating you as a candidate, right? The, the ability to be able to move into a different area, to be able to sort of become a, a I don't know. Uh, I guess uh, adaptable is the word I'm looking for. That's adaptable the right in term. different situations. Yeah. So it is 4:45. I did say that I would give a hard stop at 4:45 because I want to respect your time. Um, but is there anything, any last-minute wisdom that you want to pass on? Oh, that's tough. Last-minute wisdom that I would pass on. Um, well, I would probably just say that it's uh, it's okay to know what you know, and it's okay to, to not know what you want to do. Um, you know, things always end up working out and, um, you know, trust your gut, I would say would be the biggest, the biggest take home message I could offer. Well, thanks so much, Lucas. Those are fantastic words to end on. I really appreciate your time. Um, and if you have any other questions or if you want to reach out to me, uh, you know, you have my contact info. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again. You have a great day. Okay. Cheers. You too. Bye-bye. And that is a wrap on our first ever podcast. Thank you, Dr. McCann, for your amazing insight into the world of government regulation and scientific consulting. And thank you, listener, for your time and attention. Make sure to like and subscribe if you enjoyed this podcast, share it with your friends, and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Let's Go to College One. That's L E T S G O T O C O L L E G E, the number one. If you like this more than a like can describe, please check out our merch store. The link's in the description. 
All proceeds from our store allow us to provide free and at-cost assistance to first-generation and low-income students and their families, like the amazing students at Rehoboth Pentecostal Church Judah's Youth Group in Trenton, New Jersey. Thank you again, and I hope to see you in the next episode.